Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly. And voila, you get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello, and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. Like always, we try and find the most fascinating people inside and outside the world of human resources to talk to you about what's going on today, tomorrow, and what actually has happened in the past. Today, we have with us our friend, Stacey Harris from Sapien Insights Group. Hello. Hello. It's very nice to see you guys. It's so great to see you in person. I know. In real life, right? I like guess. the IRL, like the kids say, right? Yeah. <laughs> IRL. It's about as cool as I get right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's also the end of the conference. Yes. Time. Yeah. <laughs> and we also have Dwight Brown. How are you doing, Dwight? Doing great. Good to be here. Thanks right, for being here, Stacey. Yes, definitely. And, you know, we, we actually had Stacey out last year, probably later on in the year. So... We're not going to ask Stacey to go through and give her her whole background. But Stacey, it's been a year. What's changed with you and Sapien Insights Group? Yeah, well, you know, it's a year on, right? So, uh, and as being a small business, lots change. So we've hired a few more people and we've we've added to sort of the research function. So we have a new principal analyst, which is really good for us because that gives me a little bit of breathing room. So as I think the biggest thing for us is that as chief research officer, we're starting to figure out that, you know, how we can take all that amazing data that we've got and start to break it out into smaller pieces. Cause that's usually the biggest feedback we get is people would like to have it in more digestible formats. Right. And so we're starting to start to actually have a publishing team that's working through getting it out, getting it into the library. So that's the exciting part. We're really excited about it. So they can actually double click on the research yes, as it were. Exactly. Right. Double click on it, open it. And hopefully it kind of meets just the needs they have at that point in time. Good. So, yeah. Good. So Stacy, you may remember this, you may not. We ask every person who participates in the podcast to give us one thing that no one knows about you. Every time. Ian every Cook time? from Vizier has given us five things that no one knew for the first time. That is tough because I think I used my D&D already last year's <laughs> time, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> and my, my son, who is a D&D master, really appreciate it. Did he? All right. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that. Yes. I, I'm, I'm working on it. It's, 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 it's through my children completely. Um, well, I can add to that geek cred. My youngest son is getting married in two weeks. So congratulations. Thank you. Yes. It is. And we're very excited about it, but he's having a very, very tale kind of wedding. So they're doing kilts. They're doing swords. They're doing some D and D role playing. They're doing some, the whole bit. Right. And so I'm like, this is really different in a big barn outside with, you know, horses and everything. But I'm realizing that this is kind of what the kids are doing these days. Right. And and he's so excited. His, my new daughter-in-law to be, he is amazing. They're both so into it. I've, I've never seen anybody have so much fun with a wedding. So it's the first time we have, you don't have a bridezilla. You have someone who's just enjoying the day. So we're excited about it. That You know what? That's awesome. Yeah. And I totally celebrate that because <laughs> I had a traditional wedding and then a, non-traditional wedding, they both ended very badly. <laughs> so good for that. Yes. Uh, and as a geek, really good. Yeah. I really, I really love this. 
So today, our topic is going to be really cool. You just got off stage talking about the, where you've seen things happening in the yeah. world of HR technology in 2021, right? Yes. So we want to talk to you. What has happened, what is happening, and will happen in the world of HR technology? That's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with, let's talk about for context setting. Yeah. Let's talk about the past. Let's talk about where has HR technology come from? Well, so um, my book goes all the way back to 1972. My So I have a book, that, as you guys know, last time we talked on introduction to HR technology, and I do a whole timeline of HR technology. And it goes back to 1972. And I do believe one of the first vendors that I mentioned in the book, because I give a timeline of when vendors popped up, when they're doing was ADP and their their payroll system, which was the first one to have the sort of automated payroll that you did outside. Right? Auto pet. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Which was a little before my time. <laughs> 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 but but probably the 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 space I think is the most interesting because I think that was a lot of still trying to figure out how to sort of automate sort of the basics. And I think the, the world, the whole world was figuring out how to use computers yeah. at that point in time. Yeah. I think for the HR technology space, probably the most interesting sort of timeline was started really in 1997, which is really about the time that we'd started doing the survey for uh, when Lexi Martin started in yeah. 1997. And it was the, the onset of self-service at that point in time. Then was the first time when we were starting to see this great self-service technology and people were saying, Hey, we can do more with this than just, put data in and take data out from our admins. And there is, you know, that first, I, I have the data from that first survey. You know, it was more interviews than anything, but, you know, there are comments in that about, you know, I can't, you know, people are saying, I can't believe anybody would ever want to get their paycheck automatically. They want to see it and put it in their hands, right? Like that's absolutely yeah. necessary. When would the wife get it? Like that was a quote, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was another quote, like I, I can't imagine anybody would ever possibly want to do their benefits online because how would they, they need to sit down with the HR person and do that. So there's just yeah. things that I think, you know, we definitely made assumptions about, and I think we're, we're going to do those same. The thing is history does repeat itself. And there are things today where I think we say, there's no way anybody would want to do that. Or there's no way we'll, we'll accept that, but they will because, you know, history goes on. So, But if you remember back that far, and I do very, very quickly, yeah. the advent of computers was really only started in a consumer-based way in 1979, 1980. Yeah. And so it started with Apple and Radio Shack mm -hmm. and a few other participants. And so the acceptance in the business world of computers versus admins and yeah. typewriters and secretaries and administrators and clerks yeah. really changed the way work, really work, how work happened. And then the advent of the internet then revolutionized things like employee self-service. Made it more accessible and democratized the whole process, right? Exactly. Now, there are some people who would say that it was not the best thing because there are a lot of people who feel like we've gone too far to self-service, right? I think even if we're talking about today... There is a, a bit of a backlash to the amount of workload that now put on employees, particularly yes. managers. Do you remember the days when Manila envelopes used to go from office to office, and the thing that sealed them was Inner this office very, mail? With, do you remember the very powerful little piece of red string yes. that used to go in the infinity symbol? Yes. And when I used to send compensation statements yeah. to managers, it would be I'd have to actually stamp confidential yeah. on the latch, on the, on the flap yeah. to make sure that if anybody moved it, if anybody opened it, we would we know, know about it. Yes. 
And I mean, that wasn't too long ago. It really wasn't. No, I, that, I, I can remember in our office mail and my, first, you know, I was out of uh, grad or, you know, graduate school and, and undergrad and, and they were very important in the bank that I started in because you, and, and there was a guy who walked the inner office mail up and down exactly. and made sure it got to all the places it was supposed to get to. And that was a whole job, right? To, to, to manage that. And, and you put their name on the back. Yes. You know, and yeah. it was like a library system. Yes. Remember, Remember? those names? <laughs> yes. the list? Yeah. And then you'd be like, okay, this thing's been, there were 30 people. And you'd be like, oh, that guy's been gone for a year, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. So, yeah. It was nostalgic. It was. But, but that, to your point, though, the advent of these things had its detractors. Yes. And it wasn't just the guy who delivered mail or the, the female who delivered mail. It was the people who said, but we'll lose this or what was that and in some ways we have but to your point we've accepted it yeah we've accepted it and and i think that's something i always try and tell people about change is that there are some upsides and downsides to every change that you're going to go through yes. and i think the the opportunity for us is to realize that change is going to happen and when it happens our biggest role is to really figure out how do we ensure that everybody who it's happening to has the best experience possible yeah. Because you can't stop change. That you know, we have tried for a millennium to stop change in our world, and it just doesn't happen. We try to control it, but it yeah, just it happens. You can't, yeah. right? It exactly, exactly. And it gets forced on us, <laughs> or the world <laughs> just takes over, like the internet. Yeah, yeah. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking subscribe. This podcast is made possible by Salary.com. Now back to the show. So that being said is backdrop, and we're going to skip a lot of years now and talk about now and talk about the things that we're seeing either in your sensing in part of your study or what you've heard people say as reaction to it. What's happening today in the world of HR technology that's so important to us? I, I think that's the biggest thing that came out of our research this year. And, and I don't think this will be a shock to anybody, but I think it's, it, it is a pushback on where we, how far we've come is that those organizations who got the best user experience and vendor satisfaction scores, we track that every year, and those organizations who seem to sort of come out of the COVID environment in a better place had a couple of things in common. One of the things we saw without a doubt was that um, if you had invested in sort of workforce planning or if you had invested in talent management or if you had ensured that you had an idea of sort of where your organization was sitting at least from an, uh, a talent perspective, you just did better in, in this last you know, two or three years. And I think that's something we all have to sort of acknowledge and step back and say, okay, yes, it's expensive to invest in people. And yes, it's expensive to invest in talent. But those who did ahead of time survived the pandemic and are now actually taking advantage of what's going forward. And so I think that's the piece that oftentimes we're going to we lose because we're, we're going through this. We're all just tired and we're just like want to get to the other end of it. But the other thing that we saw in our data really loud and clearly this year was that the vendors who offered services at some level, particularly managed services, they simply did better. And particularly in that meant they did better in that the buyers and the users were much happier, much had much higher vendor satisfaction for those organizations sure. than those who did not. And we have taken such a stance, particularly because of our stock market, because of the way we value evaluate, you know, technology organizations, 
but how services should not be part of that valuation. Sure. We cut services on a regular basis. Absolutely. I think we really need to rethink the idea of, of services because services really showed up very as a critical element of what, what made this year sort of successful that we were able to get through it, right? So let me first touch on a question from the first part of what you were talking about around talent management or workforce planning, because there's a lot of things that underlie those things. You have to have good foundational and fundamental data. Mm-hmm. You have to have good fundamental documentation like job descriptions. We talk about skill taxonomies and other things as well. So are you talking, when you talk about talent management, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's compensation, performance, um, work design, there's... Um, or charting in some cases, there's recruiting, there's there's learning. Is it all of those things, or was there something in specific? Oh, no, I'm sorry, you also mentioned workforce, but, yeah. but is there something in specific that was called out in those things that made it so useful this year? Well, and so we look at it a little bit of a, from the backwards model, right? We say, okay, so organizations who tell us that over the last 12 months, their ability to keep their top talent or increase their top talent better than the average, which the average is really low right now, right? So that so, means you're, right. Right. <laughs> you're better than the average. What, what do they do differently, right? And so we look at that and then we say, okay, so we see that they are organizations that also are saying that, that their per-employee profit is higher post-pandemic, basically, or than it was prior to the pandemic. Those organizations ultimately were more vested in leveraging what I would consider sort of the big elements of talent management. And so they had some element of learning and development. They had some element of recruiting as a big part, but not the technology, the processes, right? And then they definitely had some level of skills or skills management within their, their conversations. So it wasn't so much any one thing. I think it is the fact that they had, they had already seen the outcomes from the work that they were doing and those outcomes then led to better business outcomes, sure, right? Because sure. I think there, it's really easy to say, well, let's just put it in a recruiting system. Yeah. And that's not really the, the, the conversation that we're having. What we're saying is they put in a recruiting system and some learning and some skills, and they were able to get an outcome that they were able to keep their talent for longer. Yeah, sure. That outcome then led to the business outcome that they needed. Yeah. And so that's the piece that I keep trying to explain to people is that you don't, not, not one, no one thing is going to fix any of this, right? Mm-hmm. It really does come down to this sort of uh, figuring out what's the best recipe for your organization. You know what's fascinating about what you just said is that the talent management companies and the ones that used to be the best of breed yeah. have been saying what you were saying for decades, but it never happened because I think the other point you made, they didn't invest in the process redesign. Yeah when those other things were implemented. They didn't use consulting. They didn't use services. They just slammed it in and said, it's going to work. I'm going to put in a recruiting system and didn't change the fundamentals of what they normally did. And so they put in new stuff, but it was the same old crap that they put in and at the end of the day, they were scratching their head. Why aren't we doing any better? Why is it on? Why do we hate the system? Right, right. And then at the end of the day, we would come in as consultants and say to them, When's the last time we updated how you do something? And they said, were we supposed to do that? Were we supposed to fix our job tables? Were we supposed yeah. to cr- create career frameworks? Yeah. Who told Nobody told us. But I also think we put a lot of onus on the companies themselves to do that with the technology, right? And I think this is where the services side of that conversation comes in. Because sure. I do think that it is really on the shoulders of the vendors who have created a lot of this technology to start talking about 
how do you best utilize it? We have spent a lot of time selling and pitching technology. We have not spent a lot of time talking about how you get the most out of that technology. The problem is people say that the technology solve the problems and that, you know, you get what you pay for. A lot of the vendors, and I'm not pointing at anyone in particular, will say, look, we've got the best technology. And they leave it to their clients to figure out how to implement it because they don't have a professional services team that can give advice. Yeah. They don't. They have professional services that implement yeah. that'll find the right pieces of data to put in the right holes to be able to make it work. But they don't know what to say when someone says, so what's the best practice here? Yeah. And, and I grew up as a consultant, always giving best practice when I was implementing stuff. And that led to me now having a consulting services firm that then said to them, why haven't you looked at your job table in a decade? Yeah. So I'm not going to try and, and, yeah. and yell at them, but, <laughs> but the bang for the buck comes from getting the aha moment that, yes, you're going to get that shiny new object, but you're also going to have a shiny new process that uses it and gets you better outcomes. Yeah. And I really do think that the vendors have to be there with, they have to travel the journey with them. Right. That's the piece that I think we're, we're missing most. It's not even that, that you have a consultant because I think that oftentimes as consultants, we tend to, here's the idea and then you go do it, which is a great way to sort of help someone in some cases. But I think we're finding that most of these organizations are overwhelmed with the amount of work on their yes, plate. They, do. yeah, yeah. they don't have enough time to even configure the systems yes. and implement them, let alone do the work. And so I think that it is upon us to figure out a way to build whatever costing we need into to help them get it done. That would be my sense. And that really spans so much of the tech industry. Yeah. It's not just the HR specific either, yeah. but you know, you mentioned the concept of a magic bullet and there's never a magic bullet. And like you say, you try to slam a system in and think that from day one, you're going to hit the switch and everything can be hunky dory and it just never works like that. So yeah. it makes total sense that the onus really needs to be on the vendor to help clients along and walk that journey with them. So often, you know, what I've seen in the past is that they're there for implementation and maybe 30 days after. And if you want any more service, you have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars more to get that service where maybe it should be included. And and that's where Stacy was talking about the managed service, which is you're not buying a piece of software. You're buying a relationship over time. Right. And it's on them and me as the, as the owner of the company or as the manager of this process from the company side to listen to them and to be a partner with them yeah. and work together. Right. It's, it's a hard, it's, it's, it's a lot more work, but I also think that it's in, and to your point that, you know, the, the challenge for, I think a lot of organizations when they're doing this is that they, when they're very small and when they're very close to their customers, it's easy. And it, because they're, it's you, me, and, a, you know, and, 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 and right. I'm, the, I'm the owner of the company. I can see what's happening. I'm, I'm there. I'm going to make sure somebody takes care of you. When we really see it start to, to sort of struggle is as they grow yeah. and they start building out the implementation teams and yeah. nobody's really watching the next half of it. There's some disconnection that starts to take place. It's kind of a critical mass almost. Exactly, yeah. So that's a really great transition to, so what do we see as the future? Is there, is there a solution that we see either from what we heard today or from your research that will change things? You know, 
you know, I've had a lot of really good briefings this week and I've talked to a lot of really interesting organizations who are doing some fascinating stuff with behavioral-based assessments and who are doing some, I think, really interesting things with workforce planning, but at different levels of it. So there's, you know, someone who's doing compensation for the recruiting professional, right? So they have their own data around compensation. There's someone that I talked to who's doing, you know, a workforce planning process that goes from beginning to end. They've got all the, the questions asked along with the data. So, you know, I would say that I, to me, the, the, the technology of the future, that the piece that I think we're all sort of trying to sort of figure out is taking the, the really sticky business challenges that we have right now and which are always more of a process than they are a technology and starting to figure out how to automate those because we have automated for the most part everything that is easy to automate in our worlds i mean you know whether it's through a single platform or through an rpa or right what we're now left with are those really difficult situations like workforce planning like behavior-based assessments and really understanding you know the nuances of a human brain versus just the the six dynamics that you think are important right really understanding that you know the compensation that that a recruiter has to understand how they would build a compensation plan right that's something oftentimes that you just kind of do on the back of a napkin and you doesn't really work or does work and then the compensation person gets upset because you didn't have any real numbers around it so you know, those are the situations in the places right now where we're, we kind of push them under the rug. They're not part of our, our tool sets right now. That's the stuff that I'm seeing that's kind of interesting and exciting. But but the really funny part is, is that everything you just mentioned is because of silence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's because comp always own comp, comp and only talk to recruiters when the recruiters put in a formal request. Yes. And comp and performance, uh, comp and recruiters are never in the same function. Ever. Comp was comp, or it might have been part of comp and Ben. I have never seen an organizational design where comp and recruiting were together as a function that enabled one to build the right package so that the other could make sure that the cost structures were perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the other thing is, I want to talk about the workforce planning that you're talking about. Where in HR does workforce planning exist? Ah, that's a good question. It's, I, I, I will say I don't know that there's a, there's a, a solid answer to that yet. You know, I've done a lot of research on this, talked to a lot of organizations, and, you know, it's it's anywhere from it sits strategy department, sometimes it sits uh, you know, under HR, sometimes it sits under talent acquisition, if it's a, if it's a headcount kind of uh, conversation. And we've just started to really delve into it in our research. But what I'm, what I am seeing is that any form of it, whether it's headcount all the way down to, you know, really, truly enterprise-wide uh, strategic planning, has an impact on your outcomes. That is one of the factors that we definitely have seen. Not only did people do better who were doing it from the pandemic, but we also saw that it improved the outcomes. And I think that one of the big things for me is, like everything else, we tend to try and wait until we've got the perfect environment to do it. (laughs) And and that comes when? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm already gray, Stacey. I'm already gray. So I always tell people, I'm like, like when you need to hire someone, you don't wait until you have the perfect hiring process, right? When you need to, you know, train, you know, train someone on compliance, you don't wait until you have an LMS. You just go start doing it immediately, you know. Then eventually you realize, okay, this is what I need, and I'll start to build. Right? Workforce planning is really the same thing, and we, you know, I think we just keep sort of pushing it under the rug, saying, well, we'll get to it eventually, and that's the piece that I think, you know, to me is. It, 
we, we have to stop sort of saying that it's not something that's necessary. It is absolutely necessary. Remember when the first World Trade Center bombing happened? Yeah. What happened? We started implementing DREP. Yep. And I remember very clearly, because I was working down on Wall Street, that we started having collect emergency contacts. Mm-hmm. And we'd never done that before. And we were an investment bank. Yeah. And people were scared then that, God forbid, something like September 11th happened, yeah. that we wouldn't be able to not only find people, but then notify next to kin. Mm-hmm. And then a whole bunch of effort went into DRIP. Yeah. Where is it going? Even after 9-11, where is DRIP? Where does it exist? Who owns DRIP? It is a process, right? And it's kind of like workforce planning, but it's the one thing you never want to have to pull out. Now, if you live in Louisiana, and I, we have clients who deal with this almost on a monthly basis, they have disaster after disaster, and it's part of what they do. Why is it workforce planning or people analytics to that extent? The same. Yes. I, I completely agree. I mean, and, and it's interesting, you know, we, we asked last year during you know, the COVID crisis, what, what is the data that you need to do to, to get through this challenge? And I was sort of surprised, but it, over 80% of our stations said they had things like next of kin contact list. And I know to your point, like if that had been asked five years earlier or 10 years later, I don't think we would have had it. Right. right. There had, we had sort of, I think collectively as a community realized that this is not an option. You have to have that data in your system somewhere. Right. And, you know, I think workforce planning, even if it's at the most basic, which is like, if you're going to get to 2 billion, how many headcounts do you need per employee to make $2 billion. And that's baseline, by the way. That's very baseline. We're not even talking about skills. Exactly. No, we're just talking, yeah. right? And and I think, you know, everyone, it's, it's you know, only about 43% of organizations say they do that financial headcount, right? I mean, that was like, was, wow. You know, because why would you run a business and not think about how many people you needed, right? And... You know, think about a Richard Rosen now at Nike or think about Microsoft or think about Google and you think about the large companies that are doing people analytics and you know that there are disciplines in those organizations who are doing workforce planning as a part of not just HR, but as part of the business. Yeah. Because their business is so transactionally quick. They move on a dime. Yeah. Google, I mean, they build another, they'll build another alphabet. A letter, you know, <laughs> so, yes, to, exactly. To it. But it doesn't need to be them. It could be a furniture company that's headquartered in Indiana, or an ice cream company headquartered in Ohio. Well, and the thing I tell people is that you know the thing about doing workforce planning, if you do it in in a way that 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 you're thinking about sort of what you're doing, and you have a couple of scenarios, it's it's not an answer of we know what we're going to do. It's an idea of what are the options of the direction that we go and what could happen, right? Like that's, the, it's, it's a mix between sort of where we want to be and what are the risks that we're taking in our, in our future. But I think the bigger issue is that it, if you have it in place, it is exactly that you don't have to move so fast, right? Because the challenge with moving, making decisions really fast without data is you make the wrong one and then you risk really big issues, right? But I think part of that is you think you're making the right one because you lack the data to yes. be able to make the right one. Exactly. But you're making the right one, you think, turns out to be a wrong one. And it could be disaster. It could be disaster. And you have no mechanism to see if it's a disaster until it's, you're way too far down the road. I mean, I can imagine that Kodak 
and Pitney Bowes and Polar. Yeah. I mean, all of them, right? Have had got to the point at some point in going, oh, we screwed up, right? But you're, <laughs> you know. But the one you mentioned was the Pitney Bowes. They they changed enough. They have to they've, still yeah. be a player, right? Whereas the other two are more of licensing agreements, right? <laughs> and and the name isn't what it used to mean. Yeah. I mean, we have songs that were based on Kodak, right? Kodak, <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. But and, and Polaroids, right? Yeah. They were a part of our life for for decades. And they just—I mean, they they exist now because of nostalgia. Yeah. But it's not Polaroid, exactly. Yeah. And I think if you look at IBM, IBM was a different company. IBM made very strategic and interesting decisions that people said were crazy, selling off their computer business yes. to Lenovo or whomever. Yeah, and the book uh, "Making the Elephant Dance" right, is one of the best books to read about you know how they changed that whole model around. And we're going to have to make sure that that's part of the podcast notes too, because that's a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> but but our company's structured, and I'm not talking about the largest ones. I'm talking about the ones that should survive, the medium-sized ones who could survive, who could grow. What can they do to structure themselves for the future to make that stuff happen? Yeah, you know, and I think that the, you know, it's a, it's a hard question. It feels like that it takes so much energy, right? But it really doesn't. It, it takes putting in place a series of just like you do with any risk management model, right? A series of steps that you sort of check ins, things to review, data that you want to track, and then sort of reassessing it. And it, and it will improve over time. As you, and this is the thing I've seen with every analytics function that I've ever watched, right? I mean, you guys have been there, is that the more you use it, it's like a muscle, the yeah. bigger, better it gets, right? That if you don't use it, yeah, it's just going to die. And so for us, the whole thing is just keep sort of feeding it the opportunity. Feed it questions. Make it think, right? But don't silo it in HR. No. Bring in your CFO, bring in your chief strategy officer, bring in the CEO. Make sure it's their model too. Yeah. And it brings in the right business context and the right business data to be able to answer the questions they need. So it's not an HR tool. It really isn't. Yeah. It is a business tool. Yeah. So. What else do you want to talk about? Because we're now at the end. Yeah. We're at 30 minutes. And you're tired. We're tired. <laughs> we're at the end of the HR Technology Conference. Yes. Any parting words of wisdom from the person who just stood up on stage and told a lot of very interesting people your thoughts? One, one thing is, this was a, actually a really good conference. And I do think that's, that's important for people to know. Because I do think there was a lot of question about whether or not, you know, I think for, at least for me, the interactions were very similar to the interactions I would have had, you know, on the years when it was a bigger conference, right? So uh, I do think that, you know, what I have found, even in our small sense, is that, you know, people are hungry for the information, yep. right? And so when you can provide them the opportunity to get access to it, they will find a way to get to it, right? And so I think for anybody out there who's kind of questioning whether or not, you know, there's a need to educate in this market, there's still a need to educate in this market. Absolutely. And then the other thing that I, I think I, I really realized this, uh, you know, is that I, we talk a lot about workforce planning. We talk a lot about skills management training. We talk a lot about talent management or all that's going. The one stat that I can, that I think if there's any stat that just blew me away when I was 
looking at my data this year was we asked us, it was, it was a throwaway, I say, say throwaway. It was a question we threw in <laughs> because we, in our emerging tech section saying, we know people are asking about it. So I just want to see where it's at. We asked people whether or not they had a, a process or a formal approach doing internal mobility. Outstanding. Only 22% of organizations. And that did not change much whether they were large, medium, and small. Like, like you know, sometimes you sure, get it wonk, sure. right? And I was like, I was kind of blown away by that. It, 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 you know, you get workforce planning is really low. Yeah, you yeah. get other things. But internal mobility is something we've been talking about for a long time. The vendors have been pushing it. But I always step back, and I, and I know every time I see a vendor who says, I've got this great internal mobility tool, and I'm always like, have you checked out with your customers if they're really going to use it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we did ask what are the barriers to internal mobility, and, and basically they are the things you would think they would be. We don't have the skills data. We don't have the culture. We don't have the incentives. True. And I think, you know, if there's one thing that we can start to really adjust in the market, that I think we'll get at a lot of things we talked about today, the workforce planning, talent management, the skills, is the idea of making sure that we are okay with internal mobility. And, and the way you have to get to that is you make sure that the people who are impacted by it uh, are able to succeed. And that means the managers who give up the employee right, exactly. and the you know person who's moving into a new role and that they get the same amount of money as the person who we brought in because that right now we're seeing a lot of people brought in for a lot of money. Right. We're just not putting in a process for it. And it was really, it blew me away. Can I ask you a really stupid question? Yeah. Tell me what company or what technology you know facilitates career frameworks, which would get you internal mobility, but people don't know. There's a lack of education and lack of understanding by employees and managers. What are the career paths? What do I need to do in my job? I know my job description. It hasn't been updated in 10 years. But I know my job description. What do I need to do to get to here or to get to there or go over there? Because I like what's going on over there. It seems interesting to me. I've got a little background in it. Well, so, the, you know, uh, one of the, she, uh, she's going to talk tomorrow, uh, Caitlin, who's running Plum, which is a, a software. We've right? wrong. Yeah, yeah she's, she's great, right? You know, I think, I think there is an idea of being able to assess for where the possibilities are and not sure. just where we're at, right? Sure. But, I, but I don't think... But I, but I really want to sort of counter that, that I don't think you have to have that tool. I think it's, it, to get it started, it's as simple as just flipping your internal recruiting tool inside out, right? Because I, there, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to organizations where people learn about jobs on LinkedIn that their yeah. company has, yeah. that they would be a fit for, right? How angry are they, though? Yeah. They're angry because they're looking at jobs on LinkedIn. That's the problem. Well, exactly. And, and then... When that person is hired, and then also if someone is, is looking at an internal, like, so you, you flip it inside, and then on top of it, you're not, you, you make the salary a lower range because that person is at a so lower base than what you would pay, right? So I think we, we just, we make this harder than it needs to be, yeah. and part of it is because we feel like, I don't really got to, you know, well, you know, I didn't get a raise when I got that internal mobile, whatever it is, or, you know, you know, it's going to make John's life harder, or I don't want to have to recruit for John because right. now I have right. another it is, we need to fix how HR thinks about internal mobility and we need to fix how we support internal mobility more than I think we need a tool right now. Sure. I agree that the tools are helpful, but only 17% of organizations said that their barrier to them was that they didn't have a career focused tool. Really? Much more cultural. It's more cultural. Yeah. And I, oh, and I agree because I know managers. Yeah. And managers right. who say, 
this person's mine. I don't want to give them up. You know, if I lose them, I'm done. Right. Oh, and don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting on, on a high horse here. I have an employee right now and we had a small little company that we're in. Right. Yeah. And my partner needed to have her do something. And I couldn't, ha- I couldn't get the work done right without her. So it is a real issue. It's not yes. like the managers are, are being unreasonable. Right. Well, hold on. <laughs> some, maybe. Maybe. Some, maybe. <laughs> but, but I take offense to that yeah. because that's the reason why people leave. I'm not given a chance to try other things. My manager protects me from going and doing other things. (laughs) You know, there are some cultures that I helped with when I was a practitioner where I tried to do career less. And I said, manager, we will help you find another person. Let that person go. It's more valuable for the company that that person exists in another framework, in another place, so that they can now bring more flavor to the world. Completely agree. But I challenge you, are you going to do it in a timely manner? And is that manager still held accountable for the outcome while that person is gone? I'll do you one better. We tied their incentives to their ability to allow that to happen. (laughs) I swear to God, at this one company, and I actually met one of the people today who who is in part of that company. I didn't ask him, I should have. But we did. We tied... Their, of their management. And, and of course there are other things in the management category yeah. about what, but we, t- if there were negative outcomes on that, it, it affected their incentive. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, this conversation is what has to be happening more often inside of organizations sure. because, and I completely agree. I mean, I, I, and anybody who has worked with me knows that I'm, I, I'm a big proponent of like, what's your next job? Where are you going? Yeah. What's the opportunity? But I also understand the realities of what people face every day. And I think we have to have both of those inside of that picture. And we can't, we put a lot of pressure on the manager's shoulders. I think a lot of expectations on a manager right now. And I, if there's anything that HR really could probably think a little bit about is, you know, how do we maybe think a little bit more about what we take off their shoulders? So this has been great. I mean, I, a lot of uh, stuff that we've covered though. <laughs> so thank Great. you so much. Yeah. We love having you on the podcast and people love listening yeah. to you too. You're awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> and thank you for being in tech group for, yes. for both podcasts. You guys have done with us at the HR technology conference. Yep. Happy. And we'd love having Susan, Pam and Danielle on the <laughs> We'd love having you on this one. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today yet again. Great to be here yeah. again. Thank you so much, Nancy. Definitely. Really nice to meet you. And I appreciate you spending your time and sharing your insights with yeah, us. Thanks and being in person too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, is, it is nice to meet in person. Although I do feel like because we had a pretty good report the last, you know, yeah. all that I'm, I've kind of got a, a sense of who you are. <laughs> thank you. And, and thank you guys for listening. And hopefully you enjoyed our podcast at the HR Technology Conference. Stacy is our last podcast. and We love her for it. And hopefully you enjoyed it too. And if you did, please subscribe. And if you know somebody who might like this podcast or some of the others, please send it their way. And if you have any suggestions, please send it in to us. And thank you so much. Take care and stay safe. That was the HR Data Labs podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe. And if you know anyone that might like to hear it, please send it their way. Thank you for joining us this week and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.